My wife and I are having a difficult time trying to wrap our minds around the fact that this Wednesday, our son Oliver will be turning one year old. It feels like that we just brought him home from the hospital last week. Those first few weeks and months of being parents, Julie and I found it so peaceful just to hold him and rock him for hours. During those times, it was as if time itself stood still and everything was perfect. And I can assure you, those days are long, long, (laughs) long gone. Things are different now, especially with him learning how to walk. But recently, we went down to Oliver's favorite park in Little Rock at the River Market. And this park has a large area for kids to play, where it has multiple fountains that spray water out of the ground. And thankfully, it has plenty of benches on the outside where parents can sit and watch without getting soaked. And Julie and I were sitting on these benches watching Oliver play, and for some reason, I began to notice that we were surrounded by so much diversity, yet so much similarity. Sitting on the benches, there were young parents and older parents, mixed-race parents and same-sex parents. And all of them were just enjoying an afternoon, watching and laughing as their kids played together. And laughing and chasing each other through the water fountains, I saw Asian children playing with Caucasian children, African-American children playing with Hispanic children. And I don't know why, but I leaned over to my wife and I said, wasn't this Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream? And after a few seconds of silence, my wife said, yes. I think he would have loved to have seen this, and it's too bad he didn't get the chance. And my wife's statement reminded me that Dr. King was someone who worked tirelessly for a vision that he would never see fulfilled. I think that Dr. King is is an example of a modern-day prophet that gives us a better context when thinking about biblical prophets. We're all probably familiar with the iconic speech Uh, that King delivered in August of 1963 called I Have a Dream. And in many ways, this iconic speech also became our nation's dream. We remember that he dreamed of a day when our nation would live up to its creed that all people are created equal. He dreamed of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners sitting down together at the table of brotherhood. He dreamed that his own four children would be judged not by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Now, Martin Luther King Jr.'s dream was powerful, but it was also costly. King's life work came with far more controversy than we can probably imagine. During his life, he received little thanks for his efforts. The director of the the FBI stated that he was the most dangerous Negro in America. Now his family's life was always at risk and his own life was always at risk. And so after delivering his iconic speech in 1963, King went on to continue his life work for another five years. But I believe that due to the mounting threats against his life, King began to realize he probably would not be around to see his dream fulfilled. And so five years later, in 1968, it is when he delivered what would be his last public speech, entitled, I've Been to the Mountaintop. 
And from that speech is where we hear King say that in his life, God had allowed him to go up to the mountain and take a look over. And King also said, I have seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know that we as a people will get there. Dr. King's life and his passion were never about self-gratitude. His life was dedicated to something much bigger. And so in our modern age, I believe that he reminds us of what it looks like to work towards a vision where there is often little thanks and one that you may never see fulfilled. Now, working towards such a great vision that may never be fulfilled often leaves many people wondering, well, then why even do it? Why even try? It's impossible. But our reading from 2 Timothy, I believe, provides helpful insight to overcome the question of why even try. I would imagine that the Apostle Paul struggled with these questions from time to time in his own life. Paul's life and his multiple missionary journeys throughout the Mediterranean were often faced with incredible hardships. Paul's work went largely unthanked. He was usually ridiculed by others, and he often found himself in prison. Yet, despite all the challenges that he faced, we find Paul as someone who also worked towards a vision that he would never see fulfilled. In our reading from 2 Timothy, Paul had reached a point where he had overcome the question of why should I even try? In a recent article, theologian Bruce Epperly says that what we find in 2 Timothy is that Paul grounds Christian hope in the resurrection, and that it was Christ's triumph over death that gives us confidence and courage in the face of every threat. And in the light of the resurrection, Paul, the author, was given hope despite the constraints of imprisonment. Now, as mysterious as it may be to us, resurrection is an image of hope. It's an image that tells us that God is faithful even when we are faithless and that God will give us life in the midst of death. Now, as Christians, we are not provided with a tangible object in regards to resurrection. We can't see what a resurrected world looks like. And we can't see what a resurrected humanity looks like. But it's something that we have to live into. And at the very core of the Christian message, I think that we are called to live in the reality of the resurrection. And we're called to participate in the ongoing transformation of the world. Now, that may sound nice, but to be honest, to do God's will in the world is largely a thankless task. And it's a task that we will probably never see fulfilled, at least in this lifetime. Now, in the early chapters of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus finds himself in the temple declaring what his purpose in the world was. Jesus recites from the 61st chapter of Isaiah that his mission was to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, restore sight to the blind, and set the oppressed free. But if we fast forward just a few chapters in Luke's gospel, we arrive at today's reading where Jesus is reminded of just how thankless it can be to do God's will in the world. Our gospel reading today describes a scene in which ten lepers approached Jesus on the way to Jerusalem. And upon seeing him, they began crying out and begging for mercy and healing. Jesus provides the healing that these individuals were desperately seeking and gave them simple instructions 
to simply show themselves to the priests to verify their healing. And after this interaction with Jesus, our gospel reading alludes to the fact that only one individual came back to say thanks. Now in the first century, I think it's important to remember that leprosy was an extremely debilitating disease. And it came with an immediate label that you were now an outcast. A diagnosis of leprosy required that you be removed from your family. It required that you were not allowed to work, therefore having no way to support yourself or your family. The diagnosis of leprosy often meant that you were taken outside of the city, removed from society, and quarantined to essentially fend for yourself. And so in the first century, a diagnosis of leprosy was ultimately a death sentence. Therefore, in the scene from today's gospel, Jesus was not just healing someone from a common headache. By healing these ten individuals from leprosy, Jesus was restoring their very life and their existence in the community. These ten individuals were given back their dignity. They could now return to their families, they could return to their place of work, and they could return to the temple. These individuals were given a second chance at life, yet only one of them returns to simply say thank you. I believe that on that road to Jerusalem, what Jesus experienced is rather common for anyone who strives to do God's will in the world. I think what most people find is that it is often accompanied with little thanks and that they may never see the fruit of their labor. Following Christ in the first century was not easy. And to be a Christian in the 21st century is also not an easy task. Looking around at the world that we live in today sometimes leaves us wondering, why should I even try? Here in Conway, Arkansas, I believe that God's vision for the world probably won't be fully realized in any of our lifetimes. But I do have the confidence that this community makes a real difference in the world. I see it every time that someone walks into our office during the week and we find them scared and hopeless and with nowhere else to turn. And it is your financial gifts that allow us to meet their immediate need. Sometimes it is simply just enough gas money to get to a health clinic that they desperately need to visit. Sometimes it is diapers for a young mother who has little or no resources for their child. Sometimes it's providing a night in a hotel and a night simply off the street. And grace and mercy are extended to these individuals because of you, but you will probably never be thanked by these individuals. You may never even see these scenarios unfold, but I can assure you that they take place every week. Hundreds of families benefit from St. Peter's Food Pantry every week and every month of the year. And I have always felt that the worst feeling in the world would be to be hungry or to watch your family go hungry and not to be able to do anything about it. That, to me, is what hopelessness looks like. But I am continually humbled by this community and how you are able to restore hope to hundreds of families and children simply by giving them something to eat. You will probably never be thanked by anyone who attends the food pantry, 
And you will probably never see how much it means for a parent to be able to feed a hungry child. But you are participating in God's mission for the world. There were hundreds upon hundreds of hours dedicated by volunteers to the transformation of the Morgan House across the street. Thankfully, we're able to see what the house itself looks like. But you probably won't be thanked by the countless youth and young adults that's lives will be transformed as a result of the ministry that takes place over there. I'm confident that that house will outlast all of us, but you probably will never fully see the impact upon those who walk through its doors. But I can assure you that the life transformation that takes place over there would not happen without your dedication of working towards a goal that you will probably never see fulfilled. And so today, I think from our readings, we are reminded that being a Christian in the 21st century is not easy. Doing God's will in the world often looks like an impossible task. It's work that often comes without thanks, and we may never see the fruit of our labor. But we're also reminded that our Christian hope is grounded in the resurrection. It's Christ's triumph over death that gives us confidence to face the world and to also participate in its ongoing transformation. And as mysterious as it may be to us, resurrection is an image of hope. We may never see the fruit of our labor in this lifetime, but we're reminded that God is faithful even when we are faithless. We're reminded that God will give us life in the midst of death, and we're reminded that we have nothing to fear. Amen.